Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are back to our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We'll pick up in verse 10, moving into the last major section of the letter. I'll read verses 10 through 13, so follow as I read. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And remember that this is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Amen. So remember where we are in the letter. The first half of Ephesians is what we call the indicatives, indicating what God has done for us in Christ. It's all about God pouring out His grace on us, saving us from our sin, recreating us in Christ, gathering us together as His family, and so on. And the second half, starting in chapter 4, is full of imperatives, which simply tell us how we are to respond to God. How are we to live as this new society in Christ, as God's family. Uh, and that's, what, that's where we've been for the last many months, studying chapters 4 through 6. So we've talked about the fact, we've talked about it extensively, uh, that when Paul starts talking about what we are to do in the Christian life, the first thing he talks about is that we are to fight to maintain unity in the body of Christ. There are many obstacles and challenges uh, to maintaining our unity in Christ, whether it's racial tension or generational differences, whether it's worship preferences or whatever the current issue is. Uh, Nonetheless, we are called to fight for unity. After unity, Paul deals with growing up to maturity as a congregation. So we all have unique gifts from God. And all of us play a part in bringing the body up to maturity in Christ. After that, he deals with uh, growing to maturity as individuals in Christ. Putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Fighting sin and, and living to God. Then there's walking in God's design for our relationships in the home. Uh, seeking to flourish in our marriages and families. We spent a good deal of time talking about that through chapter 5, chapter 6, outside of the home as well. We get into the workplace and, and beyond. So dealing with unity and maturity, flourishing at home, at work, beyond that, this is all hard enough if we don't have any enemy opposition. But we do have enemy opposition. I was thinking about it. It's really the difference between executing an NFL offense in practice and in the game. It's complex enough in practice. Learning the playbook, perfecting the timing of the development of each play, 
understanding the theory of the offense, the theory of the defense and special teams, understanding the changes that you'll need to make when they make changes on the other side of the ball. But at the end of the day, we're talking about practice. (laughs) Practice, man. Uh, The game is a very different story. It's a lot more difficult to perfect the timing and the execution when you've got a bunch of very large athletic men on the other side of the ball Uh, that would love nothing more than to rip your arms off and beat you with them. Or to change the illustration, uh, if you've ever read Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, if not, I highly recommend it. Uh, But it's the difference between the Ten Boom family hiding their Jewish friends uh, during the practice drills that they ran every day in preparation that the Gestapo might come and, and seek them out, and they were taking all the Jews off to the concentration camps, Uh, But it's the difference between the drills and the real time uh, when the Gestapo actually did come and they're walking up the stairs. So, again, the Ten Boom family, they're hiding Jews in the hiding place in the secret room, and a lot of uh, homes had these secret rooms built in them. They ran these elaborate drills every day. Mind you, there are a bunch of people staying in the house, but they have to make it appear as though there aren't a bunch of people staying in the house. And so in a matter of seconds... They have to put all the dishes away and they have it, this elaborate plan and get you know eight or ten people or however many it was up into this room. Uh, and oftentimes you only have enough time from when you hear the knock at the door. Uh, they did it. But the point I'm trying to make is there's a big difference between running the drill and doing it in real time. So it is for us. So it is for our fight for unity in the body of Christ. Our fight for maturity as a congregation and as individuals. Uh, the very difficult path of flourishing in our relationships, in marriage, in our family, at work. It would be hard enough if we didn't have an enemy breathing down our necks. But we do. We're charged to stand against the schemes of the devil. And not only the devil, our text says the rulers, plural, the authorities, plural. This is talking about spiritual rulers, spiritual authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, plural. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not merely in a fight against man, but against Satan and his demonic rulers and authorities. The cosmic powers and forces of evil, who though they exist in the unseen realm, are very much at work over this present darkness that we see all the time. Uh, And they're a whole lot stronger than we are in and of ourselves. Turn to Acts chapter 19. I want to show you just how much stronger these enemies are than mankind in and of ourselves. Follow as I read Acts 19 verses 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Notice a few things in the passage. In verses 14 and 15, it makes clear that this was one demon versus seven men. Okay? Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest. Verse 15, the evil spirit. Just one evil spirit. Uh, The demon beat them all up and took their clothes and they ran out of the house. They were naked and they were hurt. Number two, this was in Ephesus and everybody knew about it. Verse 17, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Well, why is it significant that this was in Ephesus and everybody knew about it? Well, because we're studying the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, right? Ephesians. Ephesus was a dark place. A number of these believers were immersed in the occult before they got saved. When they got saved, they came together, they burned all their books, and uh, stuff like that. They would have been very familiar with the time that the demon beat up all the exorcists, right? Because it says, everybody knew about it. It says that all the residents of Ephesus knew about it. The point is, when Paul said... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his armies. Many of them were likely reminded of things that they knew personally, whether they were there or uh, they had at least heard about. We aren't as familiar. Maybe we think we're beyond some of that. Uh, We don't think about this as much. Maybe we haven't seen what they saw. But it doesn't change the fact of the matter. We've seen what one evil spirit can do, and we are up against a whole lot more than that. It says the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. They are powerful. They are evil. They are liars and deceivers. They are out to destroy us, and in and of ourselves, we are absolutely no match. However, We have not been left to ourselves. Our text says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers, the forces. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So God has made a way that we might withstand and stand firm in Christ all the way to the end. In his commentary on Ephesians, John Stott made the point that when in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul urges us to draw on the might and the strength of the Lord, uh, he uses the same words that he used in chapter 1, verse 19, when he was talking about God's work of raising Jesus from the dead. So that section in uh, in chapter 1 is a pastoral prayer from Paul, we ought to pray it as well, but he's praying that God would let us know the hope that we have in Christ, that He would help us to dwell on the riches of our inheritance in heaven, uh, 
and that we would know right now the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. He makes the case that His power toward us who believe is the same power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly places where it says He was seated above all authority. He has all authority. He's seated above the rulers and authorities. Uh, So in and of ourselves, we're no match for Satan and his armies, but we have not been left to ourselves. We are in Christ. He has all authority over all the authorities. The demons shudder at the very mention of His name. Turn now to Mark chapter 5. Earlier I showed you how in and of ourselves we're no match for Satan and his servants. Now I want to show you how they are no match for Jesus. Mark 5, 1-13. Follow as I read. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. So, there was a demon-possessed man He's so strong that he would break whatever chains he was bound with. He would uh, destroy the shackles. They had often bound him, and he had often broken them. It says that no one had the strength to subdue him. And that man falls at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus not to torment him. The crazy, demon-possessed man, so strong... No one could subdue him. He begs Jesus not to torment him. Now, Jesus wasn't a very big guy. Uh, you know, not likely an imposing figure. But he knew something about who he truly was as the Son of God. Son of the Most High God. He knew he had power and authority which the spirits did not have. Turns out there are a number of demons in this man. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. So over in Acts 19, you have seven men, one demon. The men leave that meeting wounded and naked. No match for the one demon. 
Here in Mark 5, you have the one Jesus and a whole host of demons. And the, the demons are begging Jesus not to torment them. Whatever they do, they only do with His permission. Satan and demons are no match for the Lord. And that was before the resurrection. Right? Jesus died for our sins and on the third day God raised Him from the dead. He brought Him back to heaven. He gave Him all authority in heaven and on earth. Our Lord Jesus is completely sovereign over Satan and all of His armies. So in and of ourselves, we are absolutely no match for them, but we have not been left to ourselves. We are in Christ. And God's power toward us is that same power that He worked when He raised Jesus from the dead. So here is yet another place in the Scriptures where we see the relationship of God's sovereignty on the one hand and man's responsibility on the other. Uh, Jesus has been given all authority over all mankind, over Satan and demons, over everything. This is a great uh, source of comfort for us because we are in Him. And He's in control of everything. Yet that does not mean that we just cruise home to heaven, right? If our passage in Ephesians 6 makes anything clear, it's that we are in wartime. And we have a responsibility to fight with the means that the Lord has given us. He has all power. He has all authority. He has everything we need. And yet we have a responsibility to fight, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We're going to talk over the coming weeks about what that armor consists of. It's listed there in our text after verse 13. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do in fact wrestle and against a much more formidable enemy than any flesh and blood can produce. We can trust that we will dwell secure under the power and authority and care of our Lord, yet we must fight because we are at war. I'm in the middle of reading an article from Politico magazine that was just released on Friday. It is an oral history. It's really fascinating. It's an oral history of uh, all of the people that were on Air Force One in the minutes and hours after the 9-11 attack. You may remember that uh, President Bush was at an elementary school in Sarasota, Florida when he found out about it. And according to this oral history in Politico, when he found out, and he found out after most of us, I mean, he, they didn't, uh, he didn't have a television in there. They didn't want to let the kids know. And, you know, I think it was fourth or fifth grade and freaked them out. Uh, so he is made aware of this. Someone comes in, whispers in his ear, and he goes into the holding room. But the first thing, according to this oral history, the first thing that he said is, we're at war. Give me the FBI director and the vice president. Now, in a situation like that, there is a certain comfort uh, in knowing that you're a part of the world's strongest military, right? You've had the best training and you have the best resources at your disposal. But that doesn't change the fact that it is now go time. All of that training, all of those resources to be put into action. 
How much more for the people of God? We are at war. We can rest assured that though the enemy is a formidable one, Satan and his armies, they're no match for the king and his kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom. But, make no mistake, it's go time. We often live like we're at peacetime. But until we make it to glory, we are at war. Our commander-in-chief has power and authority over all. Not only that, he has secured the ultimate victory in his death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, but we must take up the means that he has provided for us to work out our salvation. And if we don't, we will be destroyed. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. You know, this is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. The people of God have always been up against enemies that are much stronger than ourselves. But the Lord fights for His people. This is the context of the very beginning of the Bible. The first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, uh, known as the Pentateuch, they're a collected whole. They were all written by Moses in that time period when they came out of Egypt before they went into the Promised Land. There's a 40-year period where they're in the wilderness. Moses wrote the Pentateuch in the wilderness. And uh, so again, they're, they're about to enter the Promised Land that was promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. And Abraham's descendants are here poised to make good on that promise and walk into the land. But there's a problem. Because the land that was promised to them is enemy-occupied territory. you got the Canaanites. you got the Amalekites. you got the Jebusites. Whatever ites. There's a whole bunch of ites. There are a number of armies that are much stronger, much greater in size than is the army of Israel. But the army of Israel has the one true God on its side. And God has promised He will fight for His people. So the purpose of the writing of Genesis through Deuteronomy was to remind God's people that they have always been up against insurmountable odds. But also to remember that God has always been in the business of overcoming insurmountable odds like when He fought Pharaoh to free His people from slavery in Egypt. That's sort of the central uh, happening there in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And that is the purpose Reminding them He's done this before. He's going to do it again. They must trust the Lord. They must be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Moses was reminding them of the past to build their confidence for the future. Not because they were so great, but because their God is. David and Goliath. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You could make a list of however many happenings and stories and instances in the Old Testament. They're all stories about God fighting for His people against enemies much stronger than themselves. And preserving His people against seemingly insurmountable odds. That all leads us to Christ. Because Jesus has secured our victory over our greatest enemies, Satan and sin and death. He paid for our sins in His death. He defeated death 
in His resurrection. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Satan and his armies are simply on borrowed time. And they know it. And yet we're called to fight. In and of ourselves, we're no match. But we've not been left to ourselves. We must trust the Lord. We must be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and take up the means of the warfare that God has given us. I may have said this in here before, but if not, let it be known now that one of my least favorite statements that we like to say in the church is, God will never give you more than you can handle. That is absolutely, positively false. God has always given His people more than they can handle. Always. From the beginning of history, and it will be so until we're all in glory together. He has always, always, always given His people more than they can handle. However, God will never give His people more than He can handle for us or through us. God will never give you more than you can handle in His strength. That's a big difference. And the transfer of the strength is not automatic, right? It's not like, sweet, we can do anything. Because you do see the people of Israel, when not depending on the Lord and trusting in Him and walking with Him, they get slaughtered because their enemies are stronger. So there's always that tension. All power, authority, all strength and might of God is always available to us He'll never give us more than He can handle through us. And yet, if not trusting and depending on Him and walking with Him, we will get destroyed. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, in fact, it's on our wall at home because it's meant so much to me, but Psalm 105.4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Jesus has all the power that there is to have. Yet, we have a responsibility before God to take up the power that is at our disposal. He loves us. He's committed Himself to us everlastingly. But in the meantime, at wartime, He has required us to make good on the means, to take up the means. It's not rocket science, but it is very difficult to depend on the Lord and trust in the Lord and pray without ceasing, to seek Him continually. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about taking up the means of the power that are listed in the text. Things like God's Word, the Gospel, faith, prayer. But to close today, I just want to focus on the fact that this means that a normal part of the Christian life is to regularly be brought into situations where you are absolutely no match. It is way more than you can do. You cannot do it in and of yourself. But you have not been left to yourself. This is one of the main ways that God grows us. He brings us to the end of our own strength in order to access His. If we weren't brought to the end of our own, we would never ask for His, right? 
But God is committed to showing us our weakness so that He can show us His power which is made perfect in our weakness. In our weakness, He is strong. So, in application to our lives, uh, just completely honestly, there are many marriages in our church that are in very bad shape. Uh, I have proximity as one of the pastors and counselors on our staff to see that, maybe from the inside and see the underbelly. Uh, There are many marriages, maybe not many, there are some marriages in this room that are heading in that direction. But uh, there are many bad marriages. I don't doubt that they're under attack. I think this is totally underappreciated in our day and time, in our church, in in my life. Uh, Satan's first attack in world history was on a marriage. I don't think it was his last. But I also see a whole bunch of people trying to be married in their own strength and according to their own wisdom. God has given us strength. He's given us wisdom. He's established the path for flourishing in our marriages and our families. And inevitably, 100% of the time, when there is total breakdown and blowout, it involves at least one person who has hardened their heart to God and has totally refused the strength and the wisdom that He provides through the normal means of grace. So if that's you, not necessarily that you're hardening your heart to God, but you're very aware of your inability to produce what you desire, Just know on the front end that you are no match. You cannot do it. We cannot walk in God's paths in our own strength. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Maybe your difficulties on the work front. I can tell you that there has been no other place in my life where God has showed me my weakness like in my work. Uh, He has made me consistently aware that I cannot do what He has called me to do in my own strength. But He's also consistently reminded me that I'm not left to my own strength. The Lord has consistently showed His power in my weakness. Maybe you're battling anxiety or depression. He brings about these times of weakness in order to deepen our dependence on Him. So trust Him. Seek Him continually. Pray without ceasing. Cry out to Him. He will be strong in your weakness. He will not leave you to yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need. Lord, forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You have all the power. You have all the authority. You have everything we need. We are thrilled to be a part of the kingdom. We are thrilled to know that our souls are safe eternally. Uh, Lord, if there is someone in here who does not know that, I pray that You would work it deep in their bones to have a confidence, an overwhelming hope 
that uh, we belong to Christ, that He died with our names on His lips, that all of our sins are forgiven, that You have rescued us from our sin into Your family. You've brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Your beloved Son. And we thank You. In the meantime, Lord, uh, we know we're at war. And we often forget it. Please help us to remember. Please help us to live like we're at wartime. Please help us to take up the means that You've given us. Help us to understand what that means, what that looks like. Over the coming weeks, uh, sober us with our present circumstance, with our total inability in and of ourselves to do what must be done. But Lord, we pray that You would pour out Your grace, pour out Your strength, pour out Your power, pour out Your Holy Spirit in and through us to make something strong and beautiful in, in our lives individually, in our marriages and families, in our work that we do, uh, that You've assigned to us, in our relationships near and far. Strengthen us with Your strength, Lord. We look out at a world that's gone mad. We recognize uh, it is uh, in our day, as in many that have gone before us, a world that has turned from You and hardened its heart to You. Help us to move toward the devastation with the hope of the Gospel. Lord, we do pray that You would add to our number day by day those who are being saved. We pray that You would open doors and opportunities for us uh, to minister the great hope that we have in Christ and uh, to bear burdens with those who know their weakness and testify to Your power. Lord, for the one who is very mindful of their weakness today, might they leave here uh, encouraged to know that You have, Lord Jesus, all authority and power. You give it liberally to those who seek You. I pray that You would draw us near. We thank You for humbling us, for keeping us weak, for keeping us dependent because it is Your power that we're after. We want Your power to be made known in our weakness. Strengthen us, Lord. Root us and build us up in Christ. Establish us in the faith that we're being taught that You might get great glory. And again, that your kingdom might come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody has any thoughts or questions, we do have a couple minutes. And then we need to rock and roll. Alright, maybe next time. Don't forget, Grace Group tonight.